So 1 Timothy, training yourself towards godliness. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Let's read the word of the Lord. He says, If you instruct the brethren in these things, when he talks about these things, you need to read the first part of this chapter. Because in that chapter, he's talking about deceiving spirits, false teachings. He talks about this. He says, when you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. There's our theme, our topic. Exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having promised of the little life that now is and of what is to come, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Let's thank the Lord for His word. Heavenly Father, I praise You and I worship You and I thank You for Your word. Without Your word, Father, I've got nothing to say to these people. Without your word, Father, we are just a gathering. Without your Holy Spirit to open it up to us, we are not here, we, are, we will be wasting our time, Lord. But praise you, you are here and your word are here. And I just pray now, Lord, that you will use me as a vessel to bring the message to these people today. Amen. So before chapter 4, verse 6, we find Paul talking about all of these different false things coming into the church. And believe me, brothers and sisters, we're living in a time where there's so many different messages that want your attention. So many of them. And Paul was in the same thing. He, Timothy was in the same thing. He writes to Timothy. At one stage, he calls Timothy his son in the spirit, his son in the ministry. Timothy, this young pastor who was going to preach to people, he gives him instructions and one of these instructions is this. And during the week when I was traveling in Brisbane and I was sitting in a hotel room and reading through the Bible and studying a few passages and so on, I came across this. And the word godliness stuck with me. And I thought about this word. What a rich word it is. That we as children of God need to exemplify godliness. Are you doing that? I had to ask myself that question. I told you how I came back on Thursday night. And as I got more frustrated by traffic and more frustrated, and I just wanted to lose my cool about it, as we all do from time to time, these words came back to me. Exercise yourself in godliness. How do you do that? What is godliness? He says it right there to them. Now there's three things out of this first verse that I just quickly want to discuss with you. We do some work in this verse. The first one, he says, reject old wives' fables. Don't you just love it when Paul say it like this? Old wives' fables. When I looked at that, I got a little bit of a chuckle out of it. I said, Paul, yes, you know, you've got it right on. A lot of the things that you hear when it comes down to laws and rules to be a Christian is old wives' fables. People who come to you and say that you can't marry this way, you've got to marry that way. You can't eat this 
you can't do that, you can't do this. And it also calls it deceiving spirits who comes and preach. False Christs, antichrists coming in. Paul calls it all old wives' fables. In other words, he says to Timothy, priority must be given to the Word of God. And this is what we need to do. And you need to do that. And I need to do that. We need to prioritize yourself to study the Word of God. And not to be get caught up with all of these old wife fables. If it doesn't compare with the doctrine of the Word of God, reject it. That is what he's saying. I love this reference to Titus chapter 1 verse 1. Another one of these young pastors that Paul was writing to. In his uh, explanation, in his greeting to Titus, he writes, Paul, a bond servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and listen to this now, and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. You see that? He says, the acknowledgement of the truth which accords to what? To godliness. So what Paul is saying to Timothy, he says, acknowledging the truth, studying the truth, the Word of God will bring you to what? To godliness. This is what he's saying. Now compare the truth there to what Paul called old wives' fables. Which one would you select? I want the truth. Because the Bible says the truth will set you free. We don't often like to hear the truth, do we? The truth hurts so many times, but it sets you free. And here is the same thing that he says to them. The first thing that he says to him, he says, reject. Reject old wives' fables. When people come to you with things which is not doctrinally sound, you've got to pray in this way. You've got to do a religious way in this way. If it cuts you away from the freedom of the Spirit of God, reject it. And now he says, exercise. He says, exercise yourself. Now, exercise here, the word there means is to conform to the laws and the wishes of God. To be devout or to be moral. Exercise here has got the idea of you putting every single thing into your training. Now, I don't know if you notice it, but I'm training hard for the last two weeks. I'm going to the gym, and man, I'm putting a lot of effort in. And I'm sometimes sweating. I'm putting up, putting up. I mean, this is the thing. I'm, I'm pulling up these heavy weights, and every muscle in my body is aching. But I'm putting so much effort into that, so much. I'm getting red in my face and everything, and I put everything in to do what? Just to make my muscles stronger. That's the exercise. Somebody said the other day, he came up to me, he says, John, they say at the reception, every time you come in afterwards, they have to come in and bend their irons right again, you know, make them straight again. I don't know whether it's a compliment or what, but, <laughs> but that's the thing, you know, when he talks about exercising, it is putting in an effort. It's not just something that's going to happen. And for some people, that's how they feel. They feel, you know, I'm safe now, I'm going to church... And it's just going to happen. No, no. You've got to exercise. But then he goes on to say what you need to exercise. He says, exercise yourself towards godliness. Towards godliness. And then he goes on. He says, all of those stuff that I do in the gym is of little advantage. 
Don't tell that to people who pump iron in the gym. They wouldn't like that. But here he says that. He says that exercise yourself towards godliness. Now, godliness here, the idea in the Greek word, is to conform to the laws and the wishes of God. Uh, it's, about, it's the same uh, as exercise. I've got it same there, but it, it, that's what it means in the Greek is for godliness, is to conform the laws. I've got it wrong there. There you go. That doesn't belong there. It belongs there. So the Greek word for godliness is to conform to the laws. That's what it means there. So you have to exercise yourself to conform to the laws. Now, it's not under the law. It's not putting down a law and to say, I'm going to do this now every single time religiously. No, we've got freedom in Christ. But we have to conform to things that God doesn't want. And this is what is all taken up in godliness. It is a proper response to the things of God. How are you responding to the things of God? To the preaching of the Word to the inclination of the Holy Spirit in your life, which produces obedience and righteous living. This is what godliness is all about. Righteous living. How do you live? Righteous, uh, godliness is, in other words, is to please the Father in everything we do. Do you please the Father in everything you do? You see, when I was driving there on Thursday night, and I just thought, felt so frustration creeping up in me, and I wanted to say to the person in front of me, go quicker, but he couldn't go quicker. I wanted to wind down the window and shout out and say, go a little bit forward. Before I do that, what do I think? Is that going to please God? No, it would not. It will not please the guy in front of me. So I had to exercise myself and to say, Lord, I'm in this position. I'm in this place because I made a decision. Now I've got to learn from that. And so is life. It's every single thing you do is not happening by chance. You are sitting here today because of decisions you've made in your life. And we learn by those decisions. Some of those decisions are good and some of them are not so good. But you will learn from both of those. And here Paul says to him, he says to this man Timothy, he says, exercise yourself towards godliness and i want to say in every circumstance that you are you need to show god's godliness in other words to produce obedience to him and to have a righteous living now this is not all it comes from jesus look at this now and jesus uh, said this in john chapter 8 verse 27 he says they did not understand that he spoke of them of the father he was talking to the crowd then jesus said to them when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do not nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me, and the Father has nothing left, uh, left me alone, has not left me alone. For I always do the things that please Him. So Jesus is a great example for us. If godliness is something that we do to, pre to please the Father, Jesus showed it to us. He said it to us in His own words. He says, for I always, always do the things that please Him. And this is in everything, in His relationship with people. He did the things that please the Father. You say, but wait a minute, how was He with the Pharisees? He was really harsh with them. 
He called them, he called them uh, words, you know. He, he was really hard. And, he, and he, remember the day when he made the whip and he chased the people out of, surely he lost his cool. No, he didn't. He did what pleased the Father. He said, this is not a place for, for people to sell and to make trade. It is a place of prayer. But he always did what pleased the Father. And this is what it means to exercise godliness. You have to do what pleases the Father. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes again to the church in Corinth, in chapter 10, verse 31. He says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. Every single thing. This is what godliness is about. Paul says to Timothy, exercise godliness. Paul says to you and to myself, exercise godliness. How do we do that? Do it by everything that we do, we do to please the Father. Jesus said it to us, Paul says it to us. doesn't matter how, if, if it's how you speak to your husband, how you speak to your wife, how you speak to your children, how you go to your workplace. People look at you. How do they perceive you? I mean, you might walk around there and you might say to everybody, I'm a Christian, I'm a born-again child of God, I go to church, and... You know, sometimes people dress up and other people say, oh, he or she is a godly man or a woman. But how do you react? How do people perceive you? It's the way you live. This is going the next step, is to please the Father. And now let me just say this morning that godliness is not a suggestion. It's a command. Did you know that? We are commanded to live godly lives. Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. He says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. What is conduct? It's things you do. You be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And man, have I heard so many sermons about this verse. But let me explain to you. Because you're going to say, Now, wait a minute. Peter is talking about holiness, and, and what is Paul talking about? Paul is talking about godliness. Is it the same? Well, the answer is right there. If we look at the Greek form of the words, Peter says holiness, which is hagios, and Paul says godliness, which is eusebia, and it's not the same word. You say, but how does it work? Because Peter says, be holy for I am holy. And Paul says, exercise yourself in godliness. Now let me say, there is a connection between the divine sovereignty and the human responsibility between these two words. Because if you think about the word holiness that Peter is using, the word there means to be set apart. In other words, God saved you. And what did He do? He came and He washed away your sin. He restored you to holiness. A lot of people think if they see that word holiness is this, is this person with this halo around their heads and they're holy people, holier than thou. It's not. He restored you to a place of holiness, a separated place, separated from the world. Although we live in the world, we are not of the world. And this is what Paul writes to the church in Ephesians. He says to them in verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with what? Every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Now listen to this now. That we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. There He uses the same word. He uses the word hagios. He said He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. Look at the word holy there. And without blame before Him. Now let me ask you. Can you make yourself holier? No, you can't. Because that's the work from the sovereign God. He saved you. And He washed you. You can't wash yourself cleaner than what He washes you. He chose you before the foundation of the world. He had His finger upon you. And when you came and you fell on your knees and cried out to Him. And His Holy Spirit came and He washed you. When you confessed your sins. All of those rotten, dirty things you've done. What happened? He came and He washed you whiter than snow. That is in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. He cleansed you. So He, made, he restored you into holiness. Now the word there means to be separated. Now let me ask the question then. Are we living in an holy world? No, we're not. We can surely say it is what? An unholy world. It's not a clean world. Does that make you unholy? Why not? What makes you then holy and the world not holy? What? Jesus. He makes us. But wait a minute. It's not only Jesus, because a lot of people in the unholy world are also crying on His name. Some use His name as a swear word. Does it mean that even if they use His name as a swear word, it makes them holy? No. Something happens. What happens? You are getting born again. You come to the cross, and He born you from above. John chapter 1 verse 12. He comes and He saves your soul. And what happens at that point? He sets you apart. You are now called a holy people. Now this is the travesty about the thing. If He sets you apart as a holy people, why then are you still living as an unholy people? That is the question on the table this morning. I see that often. We see it in churches. This is why the unholy world is calling the church what? A lot of hypocrites. This is why the unholy world is calling the church hypocrites. Why? It's because holy people who are ought to exercise themselves in godliness are not exercising themselves in godliness. They are living unholy lives in the church. Do you think that is going to be something that the unholy people would want to go to? They look at the church and they look at the world and they go, it looks the same. No, I'm comfortable where I am. Who knows that we are all creatures of comfort? We all are creatures of comfort. Nobody likes to go out of your comfort zone, do you? And this is the big thing. If we preach the gospel to the unholy world, we are asking the unholy world to come out of their comfort zone into holiness, to live lives which is separated from the world. This is what we're asking. Isn't it right? 
We preach and we say the way that you conduct yourself in the unholy world, in sin, is going to hurt you, not only now, but also in eternal life. This life that you're living now is disastrous. Though you can't see it now, you are doomed for a doomed destiny. So please, we implore you, we preach the gospel. There's a man who came and he died so that you can come out of this unholy life into holiness. This is what that verse says there. Yet, when we preach it, it should not only come from our lips and our mouths, it should be lived in our bodies. This is the, this is the message this morning. Exercise godliness. You cannot have godliness without holiness. Holiness is the foundation of godliness. You can't go into the world, although we see in the world so many people with good hearts. Do you know those people? I know a lot of people who don't serve Christ who's got good hearts. They will give everything for the poor also, just like Christians do. But they do it to be seen. Now we can't look at those people and say that they live godly lives. Just because they've got good hearts. The only way that you can live a godly life is how? You need to become holy. This is why Peter says to them, Be holy for I am holy. You become holy when you come to the cross of Christ. When He borns you from above. But then, my dear brother and sister, then the work starts in you to exercise godliness. It's not as if... Although the Holy Spirit lives inside of us because when Jesus walked, the disciples came to Him. He turned to them. He says, I'll pray the Father and He'll send you another comforter, a paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you and in you forever. But it's not as if when you live as a child of God that the Holy Spirit is going to take over your life now and you, he's, the, he's the puppet master and you're just the puppet. It's not that. The Holy Spirit is a guide for you. The Holy Spirit is the strength for you how to live this godly life. But you have to listen to Him. Some people don't listen to the Holy Spirit. That is why you find people who proclaim to be Christians living ungodly lives. So, Paul comes to this young man and he says, Timothy exercise yourself in godliness. And when he says to him, exercise yourself in godliness, it means it's something that you can do to get better at. Am I right or wrong? If I go to the gym, what I do? I take that little piece of iron, I do this hour after hour after hour after hour, and believe me, the muscles get sore. The next morning you can't get out of bed, you go, oh! Oh, yeah. I was just telling Richard this morning, I did some exercise, I can't barely walk the day after. Why am I doing it? To get better at it. Two weeks from now, I do the same exercise, and I go, what's this? Another guy walked in, I go, man, just keep on doing it. You get better at it. Again, don't miss the focus here. This is not law. I'm not teaching you law to be under the law. I'm not saying go home now and put a list of 10 things on the wall and walk past and go, today, number one, I'm going to smile. That's a sign of godliness. Smile. Tick. No, that's fake. That's fake. Number two, I'm always going to say this. 
walk around in this. People are going to think you're crazy. No, no. It's natural. You see, the Holy Spirit of God is natural. He comes into your natural body. The super, no, no, let me. The supernatural Spirit of God comes into your natural body. And what happens? He changes you from the inside out. And you've got to exercise that. And this is what it is. So holiness is the foundation of godliness. You cannot have godliness without holiness. So this is what Peter says. Paul says this. Are you doing it? This week, if you sit here today and you think back in the last week, I I was very transparent to you this morning, weren't I? I told you about my traffic thing on Thursday night, and I'm going to be honest to you, I had to exercise a lot of godliness. Have I passed the test? Maybe not, because I got frustrated. Praise God, I never honked. In that two and a half hours, I never honked. I never went, beep, come on, beep, 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 beep. I never. But maybe five years ago, I would have. So I've exercised myself, okay? So what are you this last, if you look back this last week, have you exercised godliness or have you lost it? Now listen, listen, if you've lost it, does it mean it is kaput, ikabot? No, you exercise it again until you get stronger in it. This is what it is all about and this is what we need to do. You see, godliness is also not just a Christian character. It's more than that. Godliness is more than just a Christian character. This is what somebody told me one day. They said, when God saves you, He changes your whole DNA and your character. But you still got to exercise this. Now, the question, what are the marks of a godly person then? What is the marks of a godly person? If you look at somebody, how can you say that is a godly person? And you know, we, we as people often do this. We walk into a church and we see somebody well-dressed in a church environment. And what is the first thought in your mind? Oh, he or she is a godly person. Or somebody stands up and he, and he prays a beautiful prayer maybe. And you say, man, every time that man prays, the words he's using. Oh man, it's so godly. He's a godly person. Or somebody says that person is an exemplary father or a mother. Look at the way they deal with their children. That is a godly person. Now what is the, what is the marks of a godly person? Let's go back to the Bible and find a man by the name of Enoch. You remember Enoch? Not a lot has been written about Enoch. But praise the Lord when I get to heaven, I want to meet Enoch. Because there's a lot said in a few words. Sometimes they say that less is much, isn't it? In the marketing world also they say less is much. If you can say the least kind of things to to, uh, touch some nerve or something in people's minds, you don't have to say a whole thing. Just a word, just an emblem sometimes say more than a lot of words. This is one of those men. Look at him. Genesis chapter 5 verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, look at this now, Enoch walked with God. Those are the most beautiful words that I read in the Bible. And Enoch walked with God. It could have been so different. It could have been, and Enoch walked with the world. 
That is the opposite of walking with God, is walking with the world. And it says there, and Enoch walked with God 300 years. How, is there anybody here who can put up their hands who's 150 years old? 200? What was that? <laughs> Sometimes you feel like 200 years, yes. What, wait a minute, 120? Many takers? 100? 95? We've got a young church. Praise the Lord! Amen! <laughs> But this man walked with God how many years? 300 years. You've got a fair bit to go to catch up with Enoch. He walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. How many times did he repeat that he walked with God? How many times? Twice. He says twice there, and Enoch walked with God. I think it's important if something gets repeated. When I really, really, really want Sharia to do the dishwasher, I say to her once, and then you know nothing happens for a while, and you go, you say the second time, and you go, now I'm serious. This is so beautiful. And Enoch walked with God. Listen to what a few men say about this. Henry Ford, the man who made the, the, the car. Those who walk with God always reach their destination. I thought that was clever words. Those that walk with God always reach their destination. Enoch walked with God and God took him. Did he reach his destination? Will it be said of you and me that we walked with God and we reached our destination? Walking with God. How marvelous, how wonderful that would be. And is. If I walk with the world, I can't walk with God. That was moody. Isn't it true? You can either walk with the world or you can walk with God. And we know now what Henry Ford said. It's not the Bible, but I love those words. Those who walk with God always reach their destination. And this person said, God's mighty power comes when God's people learn to walk with God. You've prayed so long. You've done so many things, churchy things and all of these things. But the key lies in walking with God. Walk with God. What, what happens when you walk with somebody? You learn more about them, don't you? Have you ever had a stroll next on a beach with your wife or somebody? Do you just walk and there's no words? Do you just stare in front of you and go, What happens? If you walk with God, you take, or if you walk like that next to the beach, you take everything in. You look at the blue, beautiful water. It is a little bit warmer than today, though, because I won't find you on the beach on a day like today. But you take in the beautiful sky, the warmth, the heat, and you're with somebody, a companion. What do you eventually do? You see something beautiful on the horizon, and what do you say? You lift your fingers up and you say, look at that. Look how beautiful that is. 
and your wife or your companion, your child or somebody who you walk with, they didn't want to court with you because they look at the same thing. And they've got something to say. You say, look at that boat, it's a blue boat there. And the person goes, it's light blue. What have you learned out of that exchange? What you see as blue is light blue for somebody else. You learn perspectives about each other. And, and if it's your loved one, you touch their hand and you walk nicely off in the beach. What, do you, what happens when you walk with somebody, people? You learn about them. And you're relaxed. And you talk. How wonderful is it? You say, but God feels so far away. Preacher, I, I often don't feel Him. You know what He says? You don't have to feel Him. He's there. He is there. You don't have to feel Him. The problem today is that the church is dishing up this feel-good factor gospel. You don't have to feel Him every time. Know that He's there. Walking next to you. That is the whole meaning of the word helper. Parakletos is to come alongside and to walk with you. The Holy Spirit is there for you. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Um, look what the Bible says about these men. Genesis chapter 6 verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Wonderful to find grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is his genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Now let me apply what I said to you earlier on. Was he a holy man? Set apart? Yes. The Bible says, declares him as a just man. In his generation, he was, a he was known to be a just What do people know Noah today? They make movies about him. They go, the world, the ungodly world, see Noah as the man who built the ark. And they will make movies, which is a blasphemy of the word of God. Praise God, I haven't seen that movie, but there's a movie that came out about him. But they only see that. But the Bible says, forget about that, forget about the ark. He was a just man. He was a holy man in an unholy world who lived a godly life. That is the key this morning. You see, he was a just man, perfect in his generations. Why was he perfect? Noah walked with God. Who are you walking with? His sovereignty came to set you apart, to save your soul, to cleanse you. And now Paul says to Timothy, exercise yourself in godliness. How do you do that? By looking who you are walking with. How can I exercise myself in godliness? Walk with God. Is it that simple, preacher? Yes, it is. Because along the way, as you walk this long and narrow way, you will learn a lot of things about God, but not only that, you're going to learn a lot of things about yourself. Because let me tell you, God knows you better than you know yourself. And God will allow you to go into circumstances that you are fretting so much about 
because you can only see the circumstances, but He wants you to see how you react in those circumstances. And the way that you see yourself reacting in those circumstances is going to teach you more about yourself, whether you are living and exercising yourself as a godly person or not. Oh, but I've blown it. So many times, I've blown it. But He's a long-suffering God. He's a patient God with you. That's why you exercise, Paul says, godliness. Look at Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. Can you please raise your hand if God showed you what is good? Man, I was just this morning, on my way here, something, a thought came up. And you know what? I sat there and I said, Lord, even, even in that small detail, if I can tell you my life story in the small things that I wish for in life, he has fulfilled them all. Oh man, what is good He showed you. And what does the Lord require of you? Now look at what Micah says. God has shown you the goodness. Now what does He require of you? What does He require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to... Humbly walk with God. He showed you all of this goodness. He sent His Son to this world to die on a cross for you. He saved you out of that miserable, miry pit of clay of sin and shame. He died on a cross for you. All the good that He showed you. How many testimonies sit here of how God took you out of that? How many of you can stand up and say, Truly God is good! Not because other people say so or because everybody uses it as a slogan. But I can tell you, I can hit my chest and say what God has done for me. And all He requires from you is to do what? All He requires. Not to live by a law of rules and all of these things of this. And, no, no, all He requires of you is to live just. But do you think even the church can do that right these days? But let us not point fingers at the church. Let us point fingers at ourselves. He says, all He required of you is to love mercy. Have mercy. And to humbly walk with our God. And now let me go to Deuteronomy. Verse 8. Chapter 8 verse 6. He says there, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways and to fear Him. You see, it's more than just a character, brother and sister. Let me hurry on and finish this morning. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5. But faith, by faith, you see, this Enoch, it was mentioned in the book, in the hall of faith. Of faith heroes. There's two things that Enoch did. One, he walked with God, but look at this. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God has taken him. For before he was taken, he had the testimony, listen, that he, what? Pleased God. Walk with God, please God. Those are the two things. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he comes to him must believe that he is and that he's the reward of those who diligently seek him. You see, Enoch pleased God. 
He walked with God and he pleased God. Paul says to them, he says to Timothy, Timothy, exercise godliness. How do you do that, Paul? How do you do? Timothy can turn to Paul and says, how do you do that? You know what Paul would say? He says, take Enoch as an example. Walk with God. You will learn more about God and you will learn more about yourself. On your voyage, on your way that you walk with God, what do you do? You please God. In other words, brothers and sisters, every single thing you do, you need to ask yourself this question. Will this please God what I'm doing now? Will this, what I'm going to say over my lips in the next few minutes, please God or not? That's a good referee to have. Ephesians 5 verse 8, For you were once darkness. You were darkness, you see? He didn't say you were in darkness. You were darkness. Remember what Micah said? Micah said the good things that God did. Do just this one thing. What? To walk justly and to love mercy and walk with God. Now he says you were once darkness. But, sharp contrast, now you're in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of what? Of the light. For the fruit of the spiritual godliness, righteousness, truth. Finding out what is the acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful work of darkness. I've got one more verse and then we'll pray and go and eat. It's all about walking here. Who are you walking with? Are you walking with your work? With your world? With your job? Are you, who are you walking with? If you want to exercise yourself in godliness, you need to walk with whom? With God. Remember, you can't have godliness without holiness. And here he says it, Paul is so evident, he says, you were in darkness, now you're in the light. Now walk in the light. Don't walk in the darkness. In Psalm chapter 1 verse 1, I love this psalm. I've preached so many times on this psalm. It is written there for us. This is the example of how we walk. Okay, he says, blessed is the man. Another translation is, happy is the man. Who wants to be happy today? I mean, we all pray. I want to be blessed. I want to be happy. The true Hebrew translation is actually happiness. But let's say, blessed is the man who walks. You see, it's all about walks. Not, it's a negative in the counsel of the ungodly. If you want to exercise godliness, how do you do that? You do not walk with the ungodly. Yes, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. It's not to say we're going to find a place and call it God's zone and now there's no, no, it's only Christians who live there. That will be a disaster. Let me not continue on that one. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You see the counsel, the advice. If you walk with God, whose advice will you get? God's. You study it in His Word. But this man is walking in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of the sinner. You see what happens here? If you walk, you're in motion. You listen to the counsel. The counsel of the world says, stop. Man, you are too radical for Christ. Stop. You're taking us out of your comfort zone. Stop. Then what happens? Momentum stops. He says, no, stand in the path of the sinners. And what is going to be the next thing? Walk, stand, sit. Are you comfortable where you're sitting right now? Everybody? 
It's going to take an effort for you to get up. It's easier for me. I'm standing. I just walk. But if you want to get up, you've got to put some effort into your legs. And like my brother says, some of us feel 200 years old. That knee is so sore. You're going to push up and you're going to, oh, oh, before you get up. Now this year, the psalmist say, before you get to sitting down, he says, use the word nor there. He said, blessed is the man who's not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Stand nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But what? His delight is in the law of the Lord and the law he meditates day and night. So, Paul says to this man, for bodily exercise profits a little. That didn't help me when I get motivated to go back to the gym, does it? Because he says it profits not a lot. You might lose a few kilos, but what does it profit you, man? But what do profit is the following. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So I leave you with these words this morning of Paul. Exercise yourself in godliness. How do you do that? You walk with God. And you talk with God. And He will lead you along the narrow way. And you do everything what you do to please God. That is the gem of godliness. Will you do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your words. We thank you for your word which is so precise, so direct. I thank you, Lord, that if we open up the word and your spirit anoints it, that your hearts change. Help us this morning, Lord, to exercise our godliness. Thank you, Lord, that you set us apart. You restored us to holiness out of a sinful nature, out of an ungodly world into godliness.